Hello, and welcome to a free preview of Greatest of All Talk. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Greatest of All Talk. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Are you familiar with this catchphrase, if he wanted to, he would? Have you seen that on the internet before? Have you heard that catchphrase? And what what does it mean to you, I suppose, if you have heard it? Well, so funny you should ask. I have heard that catchphrase because you used it in a group chat that we're part of earlier this week. And I read it from you and was like, am I supposed to know what this is? Where is this coming from? Why is this funny? So here we go. Explain it to me on the podcast. Enlighten me, Ben. Well, as somebody who loves to create catchphrases, I've got to tip my hat to the women of the world. The way I've really seen this catchphrase used is in the TikTok comments and the Instagram reel comments when typically a boyfriend does some amazing show of love to his girlfriend. You know, we're flying out to Acapulco. It's a surprise trip. Mm. And, you know, the the response is, wow, he put a lot of effort into this. Obviously, he really cares about this woman. And I think for women who may be in their lives, again, I'm just stereotyping based on the, the comments that I've read, okay? Everybody <laughs> probably has a different relationship with this catchphrase. Yeah. But there's women who may not have that same relationship with their significant other, or they may want that. And it's this notion of like, look, if he wanted to, he would. It's about priorities, right? Mm. Here's this guy who loves this woman. He takes her to Aqua. Poco, he's willing to make her or their relationship the priority in his life. Now, not everyone feels that, obviously. If you can't get a text back, if you're left on red, if you're yeah. getting ghosted, that's a situation where, you know, maybe one lady would say to another, look, if he wanted to, he would. Like, he's got his phone. <laughs> if, if he really was interested in you, he would he's let just you know not that. that into you. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly right. And I, I bring up this catchphrase, one, because I'm jealous I didn't think of it, two, because it so perfectly captures this idea of priorities in life. And I think it should hit everyone home, not just every man, but I think it should hit home with every person when they think about it. Like, for example, I went to Houston flying halfway across the country, spending way too much money on tickets, you know, staying at a hotel that wasn't the best to try to just make sure I could be there in person to watch that Michigan football team win yep. the national championship. You I survived wanted to the tornado. and you did. I wanted to and I did. I survived the tornado. I survived hailstorm afterwards, although I enjoyed that for the symbolic nature of it. Uh, but it was a priority <laughs> for me. I made it happen. Now, here's a counterexample. Okay, 17-year-old uh, BG, sophomore in college, gets hit with his first ever legit snowstorm of his life in Baltimore. I didn't want to, and I didn't. Mm. I did not leave my dorm room for more than two weeks. My mom had to like custom order me uh, like boots, that kind of like ankle high <laughs> boots, to kind of try to coax me out of my uh, dorm room. I did not believe it was appropriate for them to hold classes in the snow because I was too cold. So mm. look, you guys can do whatever you want to do. My comfort is my priority in this situation. I'm not so concerned about uh, this writing seminars class that I have to trudge, you know, probably a quarter mile to get to, right? And even though everybody else is doing it, the professors are showing up, 
everyone else is there, but I was not because I didn't want to be there. It wasn't my priority at that moment. I tell these stories, especially that weather one, and I guess they're both weather ones, frankly, because of what happened in Portland this week with DeAndre Ayton and the infamous ice storm. You saw this story, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, And and honestly, we got a lot of requests for captain accountability to tackle the latest with old Dominating out there. So I'll let you take it whatever direction you want to go. Actually, for anyone who missed it this week, I'll provide context. Uh, Blazers broadcaster Casey Holdall tweeted on Wednesday afternoon in Portland, Chauncey Billups said DeAndre Ayton is ready to play, but he hasn't been able to get to the arena yet. And then an hour later, Holdall updated everybody. Ayton tried for hours to combat the sheet of ice leading out of his neighborhood, and the team sent people out to help as well, but to no avail, so he is out for tonight's game versus Brooklyn. So what do you think of the way Ayton handled that situation? Well, obviously, I've never previously seen in my life DMP ICE. I don't know mm. if you've ever seen that. A did not play ice is absolutely outrageous. And I do think one of the issues here is that if we had asked, you know, a hundred people, let's do a survey. One NBA player can't make it to his team's game because he's stuck at his house because there's too much ice in between his front door and the arena, he can't make it. But only one can't make it. Everybody is afflicted with the same ice storm, right? But only one guy doesn't show up. What do you think the survey respondents you know, say about DeAndre Ayton? I think in general, with his reputation, is this idea of like, yeah, it wouldn't be super surprising if DeAndre Ayton was the one who wasn't able to make it. Now, this is uh, you know, a sensitive subject right now because in Portland – they really get into the bunkers. They really dig into the it's line. It's been pretty like, staggering. The, the amount of defense I've seen for DeAndre Ayton over the last 48 hours has really taken me by surprise. No, they're digging in like it's Cemetery Ridge at Gettysburg, okay? They are always going to stand up. If it's Portland versus the outside national media attacking Portland, Portland will fight to the death mm. um, on behalf of its own culture. And I think the problem is... They should be defending the city, but they're also, because they're feeling obligated, defending DeAndre Ayton, and I don't think they should be doing that. I believe I have the personal experience of living through ice storms in Portland and a little bit of a national media viewpoint that I can split the difference here and I can try to like thread the needle and come to the correct take that Portland should be adopting. So here's the thing. Portland is so defensive about this because the city does zero to protect itself from the elements, right? So, like, when you're growing up, they're probably salting the roads. They got uh, street sweepers. They've got um, snow blowers. Like, eventually, the main roads are going to be cleared, correct? Like, at some yeah. point, and re- probably relatively quickly, right? I mean, we don't handle it all that well, but I would guess that we handle it better than Portland, uh, whether it's ice storms or snow or everything else. I mean, it snowed twice here in D.C. this week, and three inches of snow in D.C. shuts down the entire city, including the federal government. Uh, But I like our chances in a competition with Portland to see who can handle snow and ice better. Well, you're using that word handle, and I to be clear, there's no handling. <laughs> no done, attempt to okay? do anything. Okay, no, fair. They don't, That's they don't even try. 
and, and that's what Portland get, you know, Portlanders get so defensive about that because they're like, look, we're being left to our own devices. Okay. There is no public intervention here when it comes to storms. So you're just out there. And if it's ice and they're getting a lot of ice there because it'll be cold enough for it to still rain, not really be snow. And then it will freeze overnight and your, your roads will just be like a, an ice skating rink. And you can see cars just slipping straight down, uh, mm-hmm. in those hilly, uh, hilly neighborhoods to the west and south of the city all day long. It is very dangerous. It is very precarious. You mentioned three inches of snow. We're talking about a quarter inch of ice in Portland, okay? And that has shut the entire city down. It's led to deaths. It's led to um, power outages for like six figures worth of people for a week because of a quarter inch of ice. So that's why Portland is so defensive about it. They're thinking, well, like you guys don't really get how it is here and we don't have all these resources that these other cities have. So that's a fair point. Okay. It's not enough to defend DeAndre Aiden in this situation. And obviously, you look at his background. He's from the Bahamas. He went to the University of Arizona. He plays for the Suns until this year. This could quite possibly be the first winter storm of his entire life, if you really think about it, where he's had to like manage for himself, right? But all of us, as we're, you know, getting into these situations, we have to be aware of what's coming. We have to have some level of a personal accountability, right? And if you're DeAndre Ayton and you are living at a higher elevation, you mm-hmm. are a professional basketball player who has a team that you interface with to make sure, you know, you can get to the games. Maybe you have a driver, you know, you have all these different resources available to you. Before this storm even hits, you need to have some sort of a plan. I'm not saying he needs to have a go bag or, you know, he needs to like practice putting chains on his like Hummer or he needs to like know what his escape route is and all these different kinds of things. Like that would be taking it too far, but it wouldn't be out of the question for him to be like, well, um, this could get bad. Everybody on the news is talking about it. My parents have been texting me about this storm for seven days straight with <laughs> updates about they how much about. snow, yeah. how much ice they get, right? Like, you should maybe think, well, look, if I could just go get a hotel in downtown, which is a half mile walk to the arena, and, and Portland's downtown is, is very level, uh, yeah. you know, there's not a lot of hills, you could save yourself all the hassle of being stuck up in the hills, right? And hopefully he would have teammates that would tell him, hey, look, some of this stuff can kind of happen every once in a while. You would hope that there would be like the assistant to like the traveling secretary who would be like proactively telling all these guys like, you're going to need to get ready. You're going to want to have a plan because we want to have you out there. Mm -hmm. But the reason why I, I started with that notion of if he wanted to, he would is because DeAndre Ayton's entire career has told us that he doesn't really want to, and he probably won't. And that's <laughs> going to be his approach to this kind of a situation. If he happens to get stuck and miss a game, in his view, is that the end of the world? Probably not. It's a random game against Brooklyn. He hasn't played in a month. The team is going nowhere. There's no stakes involved. I mean, you look at uh, you know his track record in terms of getting the drug suspension earlier in his career. If he wanted to be for his te- uh, there for his team, he would stay eligible by not taking illegal drugs, right? Well, that happened. If he wanted to play in a playoff game because Monty Williams is calling him from the bench to check into the game, he would, but he didn't want to. So he sat on the bench, and now he has an, a year-long argument 
with Monty Williams. If he wanted to do an interview with Mr. Andrew Sharp, as you told us about at the uh, start of the season. True, cold shoulder he, at the NBA Finals, yeah. He would have done the interview, Andrew, but he just didn't <laughs> want to do it, right? And so I can somewhat relate to DeAndre Ayton sitting up there in a very comfortable house. It looked like from a picture he posted, he was undergoing kind of treatment on his legs as well. The idea of like looking out that window at this massive, ugly storm and just being like, you know what? I guess if I wake up at eight o'clock in the morning and I walk down the hill and I have an Uber come pick me up and, you know, a, a team employee can kind of like shepherd me to the arena, I could make it by game time. That could probably be a solution to this problem, but yep. that involves me devoting my entire day to it. But I could just stay inside all day, hope that it melts by 3 p.m. Give it the old college try. Decide, <laughs> oh, you know what? The ben Look, Goliver it looks a little... college try, it sounds yeah, like, was yeah. what he was doing. Exactly. You know, and just decide, oh, it's a little bit too dicey. I can't make it up. Sorry, I'm going to call in sick. And I don't think Portlanders need to defend that action from DeAndre Ayton because this is a guy, if he wanted to, he would. Devin Booker says, hey, congratulations on playing hard against the Phoenix Suns earlier this season. Try to do that every single night. I mean, that's mm. his former teammate, a guy he grew up with on the Phoenix Suns, calling out his competitive intensity and his priorities in terms of trying to, you know, be a, a model teammate and a model leader. And we've seen it this year as well. You know, his numbers are down tremendously from Phoenix. He's not even close to the all-star conversation, which is what I'm sure they were hoping for from him. He's become this afterthought player. He's starting to get himself into that Joe Barely Cares or Joe Barry Carroll uh, type of conversation from a reputational standpoint. If anyone should have been there early during the ice storm to show that he's a changed man, that he's ready to be the face of the Portland Trailblazers, it should have been DeAndre Ayton, but he doesn't want that, so he yeah. won't do it. So that's why I'm saying, Portland, defend your lack of governmental intervention when it comes to the climate, <laughs> but you don't need to defend DeAndre Ayton being one of many casualties of that lack of intervention because he had all the resources in the world. He had a head start in terms of when this storm was going to come, and he should have felt a responsibility to his teammates and to the fans who, by the way, all showed up. Lots of fans there, lots of team employees at this game. Uh, Somehow to, they to made go, it, yeah. They all made it, and he didn't. So they somehow got to the building, and he couldn't do it. And I guess that's my point. You know, it's not the end of the world that he misses one game against the Brooklyn Nets, but it is a massive, massive problem that we're all going to assume for the rest of his career that he can't be counted on because there's now four or five defining incidents where he let people down and he didn't really have a good reason behind it. So that's how I thread the needle. Tell me if you agree or disagree. And if you have any other questions about like the logistics of Portland weather, <laughs> let me know. I'm, I'm glad to let you know. You know, a random Wednesday night game against the Nets, not the biggest deal in the world, but I will say this is now the defining DeAndre Ayton anecdote moving forward. And oh, yeah. it's gotten to the point. I feel bad crushing this guy, so I don't want to spend too much more time on it. We've got a lot of different beats to hit on this Friday afternoon episode. But the talking point, we should have sympathy for a guy who's from the Bahamas and now has to deal with all this ice. It reminded me of a story that Kim Bohuni told me. She's now very high up at the NBA, a big muckety-muck. But for a long oh, yeah. time, she was in charge of working with their international players. And like 30 years ago, when Manute Bowl came to the U.S., 
he missed practice one day because there was a snowstorm. He had never seen snow before, and he had a runny nose, and the runny nose freaked him out. He thought he was, like, gravely ill, and so he was just panicked and stayed at home. Minute Bull at that point had just arrived in America from the South Sudan, and at the time, he was not being paid $30 million to play basketball the way DeAndre Ayton is, so I can understand where Minute Bull is coming from. DeAndre Ayton's been in the United States since he was 14 years old, so don't give me the, oh, he spent most of his time in Arizona and the Bahamas, he's just completely overwhelmed. I mean, like... How treacherous could the ice possibly be to well, merit it a full-blown surrender? No, but it could be bad, and you could just sort of walk and shuffle along to a main road and catch an Uber or connect with a team employee. Like There was a version of this where DeAndre Ayton like, live streams on Instagram his journey from his house <laughs> to a main street, and all of Portland is like rallying around him as he tries to make it to the Blazers game. But to your point... If he wanted to, he would. That's not the DeAndre Ayton that we've come to know in the NBA. And along the if he wanted to, he would lines. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm a hero. I'm just a humble husband here. But I have okay. now on two separate occasions this week dug out multiple cars in front of my house. Oh, shoveled the sidewalk, dealt with the ice myself. The ice in D.C. hasn't been that bad. It's mostly powder coming down. But two separate snowstorms after not getting any meaningful snow in like three years in the District of Columbia. And I'm out there every morning, every time it snows, you know, doing my part for Alice, who would not be caught dead shoveling. Um, So again, ladies, if your man is not delivering that kind of service, (laughs) um, you can do better. But here we are on the go. What a day. Congratulations to you for stacking the karma points early in 2024. That should come back to your favor as this year unfolds. So that's good work by you. Good good citizenship. I really appreciate that. I do really want to underscore this ice stuff is insane in Portland because some of these um, you know suburban neighborhoods like where my parents live in Beaverton, where I used to live uh, in Lake Oswego, the roads will be at like a steeper than a 45-degree angle. There'll be some really weird twists and turns. They pretty much built these neighborhoods in forests, right? Mm-hmm. And they knocked down just enough trees to put up uh, houses, and you're seeing all sorts of trees fall on people's houses, unfortunately, very sadly, killing some people in Portland. So the ice part of it is very treacherous, and I could understand if I was the Blazers and DeAndre calls me at 3.30 and is like, I'm not going to be able to make it, uh, I could try to like walk down the hill, and I'm thinking, this guy's got knee tendonitis for the last month. We're yep. not going to risk it. You know, God knows, we don't want to make a, a bad situation worse, right? But um, I think the point is that you have, if you're a professional athlete, you have a lot of people that you could kind of rally around. Like maybe they could have sent a chopper for him. You know what I mean? Like the Blazers, <laughs> like their ownership group's really, really rich, right? Like there's all sorts of possibilities here, depending on like exactly where he lives and what the weather was like that they could have, uh, you know, potentially tried to rescue this guy had he given them enough time to do it, right? But it should never come to this idea of like, oh, it's the last couple hours before a game and I wasn't able to make it because. Everyone knew the storm was coming. There are other living arrangements. As somebody who has to travel for a living, I can't tell you how many times I've had flights delayed. I've had to go to hotels that I didn't expect to for an overnight. Uh, you know, the, the list goes on and on. So to your point about like he's been in America for a long time, um, I think the challenge here was this was a situation that he needed to take some ownership of because 
he's not just hopping on the team bus to get onto a flight during a road trip during the winter, right? This is like you have to get yourself from point A to point B. And if you don't know how to do that, you have to call in advance to have, uh, you know, the, the squad come save you. And yeah. obviously he didn't do either one of those things. And he winds up doing massive damage to his reputation as a player. And I'm just telling you right now, Blazers fans, the instinct here is to dig in and defend your guys because they're getting pummeled by like dead spin or whatever's left of dead spin or other national voices. You're on the wrong side of history on this one. And just if this is the guy that you dig in and defend, you will come to regret it. You will realize at some point over the next two to three years that you're on the wrong side of history. Just don't do it. Just sit that part of it out and get back to lecturing people about how a quarter of an inch of ice is actually more dangerous than six inches of snow in the wrong conditions, like Portland's conditions. So based on your takes here, I'm realizing I I only have been exposed to like a small sliver of the conversation that Blazers fans have been having the last couple of days. It must be so much crazier than I even realize in terms of the reaction to Aiton and the backlash to the back backlash because you're dead serious as you deliver this message to blazers nation and i'm, I'm um, trying to help i'm trying to help i'm trying to be the voice of reason of like i said i'm i'm uniquely positioned to kind of see this one from all angles andrew i've had to try to like do the treacherous walk down the hill that you're describing when i lived in lake oswego and um you know it wasn't fun i like i felt like i had to do it because i ran out of food ran out of groceries after like four or five days so i was like i gotta go get some like cans of corn and beans (laughs) i don't know why like i felt like that's what was gonna sustain me like the storm was gonna go on forever but you get into this panic mentality in portland because they don't get the bad winter weather all that often and so People just don't know how to deal with it, right? So you see, you know, cars doing 360s on the ice. There's definitely been cars that have, like, wiped out other cars as they're sliding down the hill. You know, in Portland's highways, one accident, the whole city shuts down so that you can just guarantee that's going to happen. And that's why it would have made so much more sense for whether it's Aiton, his people, the Blazers organization, to have this, like, winter weather plan for the entire team and how everybody else was able to make it and one guy couldn't. They've got to own that, uh, both him and the team, in my opinion, uh, forever, because that this is how we're going to remember the Aiden era. There's no getting out of this, because they're never going to be good enough to change the subject, unfortunately. Right. Well, and Aiden had been MIA for like a month beforehand, so he hasn't done very much to give himself the benefit of the doubt over the course of his career. Uh, it's all part of the same story, but... Maybe he's about to turn a corner for the Blazers. I'm hoping for the best. I'm not rooting (laughs) against him. I just want to clarify that once again here on the podcast. To keep it moving, though, in brighter news, about six weeks ago, we randomly opened a GOAT episode talking about the Jazz, lamenting the state of the Jazz after last year's Cinderella run, uh, at least through the first two-thirds of the season. And they they really stumbled out of the gates, and it looked like they were in no man's land. And for the past six weeks, they've just been blowing the doors off of people. Thursday night, they had a close loss to the Thunder, but the Thunder were up double digits on multiple occasions in that game, and the Jazz continued to battle back and actually made it a fairly entertaining game from start to finish. So... I just want to note this and check in with where you are on the Jazz, since you were the one who initiated the earlier Utah conversation. Uh, what do you think of the past six weeks with Will Hardy, good Will Hardy and company out there in Utah? 
Well, I, I got to say, I'm really surprised about how quick the turnaround was. Remember, he was going in on his team, just like blasting them, saying like, this is not Utah Jazz basketball, and like really had some fiery postgame quotes where it felt like he was going to cut players like during his postgame <laughs> press conference. <laughs> yeah. He was going to start like listing guys off who weren't going to be able to have their contracts anymore. So he's done some int- interesting things. First of all, like he has just benched Walker Kessler. I did not see that coming at all. Like mm-hmm. I, I felt like he's probably outside of Lowry. He's the guy who you're wanting to develop the most. He's the guy who should be the highest priority in terms of the long-term future of the team. Now, he's still playing him almost the same number of minutes or roughly the same number of minutes as he did during his rookie year. But he benched Kessler so that he can kind of start Collins. And I think that the idea there is just better spacing, right? Yep. You're actually seeing it with the Cleveland Cavaliers right now, too. They're doing quite well with Mobley and Garland sidelined. And just peeking in on one of their games uh, last week, the spacing looked night and day different compared to when they play the two bigs together. And all of a sudden, guys like Niang are getting these wide open shots. And, you know, Mitchell's had a, a, you know, a nice stretch, especially kind of going towards the basket. Like those types of things are easier to do when you're only playing that one big. And Collins had that problem in Atlanta. They never had the spacing right with Collins in Atlanta. He gets to Utah. Well, that spacing problem uh, came with him. And so that's how they solved that. I, I'm very surprised. It shows a lot of trust from the front office in the coaching staff for them mm-hmm. to be willing to sort of uh, de-emphasize Walker Kessler, and it's impressive and creative by Will Hardy. The other thing is, young bull is not a punchline anymore. <laughs> this guy's balling. Dude. He's yeah. really playing well, and I, I saw some quotes uh, quotes from Will Hardy this week essentially saying, like, look, I had a misperception of who Colin Sexton was. I, When he came to the Jazz, I thought he was kind of selfish and about himself and only cared about scoring, and that's not the real deal. And they've been able to kind of unlock, I don't want to call him a hustle player, but a guy who's just like the competitive streak that we all saw in that very famous high school clip of him where he's like staring down his opponents during the free throws. I'm sure you saw that clip, right, where he's just like looking like this crazed maniac. Like they're starting to get that version of Young Bull uh, you know, on a regular basis. And I think one of the biggest questions as we're, we're kind of spinning this forward for the Jazz, does Young Bull wind up playing himself out of Utah because Danny looks at Young Bull and is like, well, he's had a nice season. He's probably not going to be a core long-term piece for us. And we could probably sell high at the deadline on this guy because he's had such a nice stretch and, you know, kind of do what he did last year, which is, cut Will Hardy off at the knees and just play for more draft picks and play for the future. I think that's kind of a choice they face, right? Yeah, I sure hope not. I mean, honestly, the whole reason I inserted the jazz segment here is to talk about how much I love this season that Colin Sexton is having because he was marginalized at the start of the year and then Hardy put him in the starting lineup and that coincided with this jazz explosion here. And just big picture, we criticize guys all the time, whether it's DeAndre Ayton or superstars X, Y, or Z. And just as a basketball story, I really love what Colin Sexton has turned his career into. I mean, you go back to growing up, like his parents were janitors. He grew up cleaning toilets, and then he was a superstar in high school, goes to Alabama. You talk about psycho highlights. There was that one game at Alabama where they were playing, like all their players had fouled out and they were playing with four guys and Sexton managed to make it work for a little while. Um, And then he gets to Cleveland 
And he was sort of a punchline. Like, you know, Dan Gilbert made him his guy. He was a shoot-first point guard. The classic guy that But not nerds. a point guard. Yeah, he was easily dismissed. Uh, he was putting up numbers. Everybody considered those numbers to be empty numbers. And then Garland arrives, and he's sort of the favored son. And Sexton, in a contract year, blows out his knee and misses the entire season and then gets jettisoned to Utah where people just expected him to disappear. And you watch him now. I mean, he's 21 points per game in 25 minutes per game, 52% shooting, 43% from three, five assists per game. What he has turned himself into and by just continuing to work his ass off year after year is really a delight, and it's all clicking in Utah right now. And so if I'm Ainge... If you put Sexton on the trade market, I actually don't know that he would have that much value. So I think he has more value to Utah right now than he would on a a contender or something like that. I don't know that people are going to be beating down the doors to give Utah a a real haul uh, for Colin Sexton. And so I just hope that they ride this out as far as they can take it and Maybe it's not real. Maybe he's going to come crashing back down to earth sometime in the next couple of months. Uh, But it's been one of my favorite subplots of the entire season. Well, you know, it's well said narrative. Why do you insist on referring to me as quote unquote nerds when you tell these stories? Like you bring up these imaginary <laughs> hypothetical nerds. It's not just Obviously, you. <laughs> you're just reciting my takes from two years young ago. And then bull. look, young yeah. bull is an important part of podcast lore here, both on open floor and greatest of all talk. So it's no shots at you and your appraisals, but um, I'm glad that he's turned the corner. Now we can celebrate young bull. Uh, that's very true. I think we need to just acknowledge, though, that the criticisms early in his career were correct. But he bears only partial responsibility for that because he's coming in with the lottery pick expectations. And when you're judging young bull, young bull as the future <laughs> face of the Cleveland Cavaliers, he's not going to be that guy. And it was very clear. And so I think poking holes in the style of his game uh, was fair to do at Absolutely. the time. Now. He goes to Utah, the ass completely changes, right? They've got Lowry, they've got some other pieces in place. Now it's just like go out there and cook and please, you know, help set a a more stable and energetic tone when you're on the court. And he can do that and he's thriving in that role. And so I think, uh, you know, some of this is about expectations for him dropping. And then some of this is about his game rising. They're meeting at a really nice point right now. I do think there'd be interest in him. Maybe not a haul like you're describing. I think that's fair. You know, people aren't going to be giving up like multiple quality picks to grab him, but it wouldn't totally shock me if he got traded because uh, of what we saw from Utah last year when they faced a similar decision. Now they're a year deeper into it. You do have to ask the question, what's Sexton's long-term role with the Jazz and and how much are they going to be invested in Keontae George uh, as they go forward the next two, three, four years? And that's the other thing that I mentioned, uh, you know, in terms of Kessler being de-emphasized. The flip side of Sexton's breakout is Keontae George being de-emphasized and benched. And kind of a similar deal to Scoot Henderson in Portland. Like when you take a rookie point guard who's learning on the job and who isn't great right now, but shows Mm -hmm. some stuff every once in a while, and you replace him with a competent veteran who knows what he's doing, has been around the block, and is just a better player right now, Uh, whether you want to say that's Brogdon or Colin Sexton, like surprise, surprise, you're going to win more games. Now, 
I do think it's surprising how many more games they've won because this has been a really impressive extended stretch from a team that really just does not have a ton of top-end talent. So I'm sure their fans appreciate it, um, and I, I think they're a team to circle at the trade deadline. Uh, not 100% confident that they're going to be tearing it down, but um, also I, I don't totally get the argument for why you would keep this band of together. You know what I mean? Like, doesn't this still feel like a roster in transition? Like, I feel like everybody should be touchable on this roster besides Agreed. Lowry. I would not trade Lowry. And actually, I wouldn't trade Kessler either just because he's still on that rookie contract and I like him as a player. But I think everybody else should be up for grabs. I think that's fair. Uh, everybody should be touchable is a uncomfortable way to phrase it. Come I'm on. shifting <laughs> awkwardly in my seat here, but yeah, I, I don't think that anybody should be off limits. Um, even marketing, you know, somebody's going to throw four firsts at you or something, then sure, take the call. Uh, but uh, just to underscore what you said, with Sexton, I did not mean to imply that the previous criticisms were meritless. I mean, I was not sad that he was leaving Darius Garland and the Cavs. I was a little bit annoyed that they traded for Donovan Mitchell, but I wasn't like, oh my God, you can't let Colin Sexton go. What's cool is that the criticisms were fair and we've seen him just work methodically year over he year from to him. address a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he took him to heart, you know, and, and like sometimes guys will just get into their feelings. Oh, this team doesn't want me. And they'll go out there with the chip on their shoulder trying to prove that they were the player um, who they were drafted to be. And he's not really that guy you know he's not really kind of going that direction he's gone into a different type of role I do look at him more like an energizer bunny type of player as opposed to a franchise lead guard you know yeah agreed and part of that story is also that Will Hardy is just really good at putting all these guys in a position to succeed and so that was my final question on the jazz all right, and that is the end of the free preview. If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode and get two episodes every week from me, Andrew Sharp, and Ben Golliver, you can go to greatestofalltalk.com and subscribe to the show.